The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Indonesia is now the big player in nickel. It's been flagging it for 10 years. It found a new technology two or three years ago. None of this is unknown. Any company that says, this is a surprise to us what's happened in the past year with Nick, with Indonesia being so big, is trying to pull your leg. That was a snippet from our conversation with Anthony Curry and Karen Kwok, who are covering mining giants for breaking views. Welcome back to The Views Room. I'm Amy Donlan. And I'm Anita Ramaswamy. And this week, we are looking at all things mining what's in demand, what's not, and why prices of some minerals are falling. So stay tuned for The Views Room, the weekly podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where Amy and I talk to our fellow columnists about the big stories of the week. And we're coming to you from London and New York. It's been a tricky time for the world of the largest miners. The price of lithium and nickel are falling, and even metals like copper are not seeing the gains many would expect given their role in the world's energy transition. It's a complex market, but the issues in the sector will cast a long shadow and have implications for governments too. Luckily, we have Anthony Curry, our Australia-based editor, as well as mining expert and columnist Karen Kwok to walk us through the story. So welcome, Karen and Anthony. Hello. So, Anthony, you and Karen have been writing about this, but I thought I would just start off with you. Um, can you, first of all, tell us what what we're talking about here? What minerals, what metals, what, what are we talking about? What are the big miners talking about most at the moment when we talk about falling prices and falling demand? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's name your mineral, metal or ore that goes into uh, the energy transition, basically. I mean... Everyone down here has been mostly focused on the nickel route. So nickel prices have fallen around about half over the past year. And most of the Australian operators of nickel mines have mothballed them or are about to mothball them or are thinking about mothballing them. Now, that may not sound in the grand scheme of things the, 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 the worst thing in the world. There's 5%, I think, of less than 5% of production last year came from Australia. But it does have the second largest resources of nickel in the world. Um, but it's not just nickel. Uh, Rio had its earnings a couple of days ago, and it stayed out of nickel, but 9% of its revenue in general comes from aluminium, which was down 18% last year. Um, copper's also down, as you mentioned. Lithium's down, what, at 1.80%? I was reading today that a couple of miners have talked about uh, them thinking the bottom is being reached. Uh, Rio CEO um, the other day was saying he's not sure yet, and he's somebody who might be a buyer of these assets. So... We've got basically across the board for everything apart from really iron ore for steelmaking, which uh, one of the reasons they say iron ore's prices have stayed up is because EVs are still being produced. So try and square that circle if you can. (laughs) But all the minerals that seem to go into the batteries uh, are the ones that seem to be having the problem. Got it. And given that this is all around EVs and, you know, just automaking in general, I know that some of the miners have released their results in the past few weeks. What have those looked like? And has that been a big topic of conversation on these earnings calls as the two of you have listened in? Yeah. So um, this week in Australia, we've had the three big iron ore miners down here. So Rio, okay, that's also uh, London based as well, but it's based in Aussie Company too, BHP and Fortescue. Uh, And it's been very much a sort of bifurcated market on the one hand. Isn't iron ore doing well? My God, we're still glad that despite all the problems about China, there's still enough demand from infrastructure, EVs and other things so that the property collapse isn't hurting us as much as we worried it would do a year and a half ago. Um, 
Nickel has been the big topic uh, for BHP. Um, just before earnings last week, it announced a $3.5 billion pre-tax write-down of uh, its nickel business here in Australia uh, and is uh, run, now running the business at a loss as well. But again, that's it's a de minimis part of the business, but it's taking up a huge amount of the oxygen. Um, aluminium didn't do as much for Rio this week as, uh, on its earnings as basically they announced a big write-down about $700 million in the first half of their of their financial year, so it's that's not as big a thing, but it has certainly dragged down their results. So, Karen, just to bring you in here, obviously copper is another really important part of the industry, but it's had some major issues lately. And I was wondering, are these more on the supply side than the demand side? From my understanding, copper is one one of the most important metals in the energy transition. So, I'm curious where the big snags are. Yeah, so supply and demand go hand in hand, right? So um, in this case, uh, China is a huge um, the, a customer of copper. And as Anthony was talking about earlier, that um, the EV, is, uh, EV uh, production is going really, like the demand of EV is actually go lower. And um, uh, people kind of expect that China economy is going to grow slower. And that's why... Uh, copper isn't really reacting to like the huge demand that's supposed to be, but actually, in fact, like Glencore CEO this week, we're saying that there's actually a lot of demand coming from China because not just electric vehicle that requires copper. There's also like uh, the cables, uh, the solar panels, and all the renewable transition that kind of requires it, and that would probably then help. Uh, the up de- uh, the demand size, and that would probably help with uh, en- encouraging the producers like Glencore to produce more copper coming forward. That's really interesting. And I mean, Karen, one thing that that I know you mentioned before as well is last year is sort of a difficult comp for lots of these companies, right? Because they were making a lot of money out of coal, and and is that basically gone now? Is that is that 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 part of the, their business is is basically they're not they're not really pursuing that? And and what are they replacing it with or plan to replace it? Yeah, it certainly is the case for uh, Glencore. So last year, Glencore half of their EBITDA comes from uh, thermal coal, uh, which had which had a really high prices because of the energy crisis in Europe. Uh, and obviously, this year, as uh, the energy crisis uh, goes away, the prices come down. So uh, Glencore reported a, like a drop of the EBITDA and also a lower dividend this week because of that. And um, the strategy for Glencore is really just to bulk up a steel-making coal, which is another kind of coal that's still required uh, massively. And there's no existing technology to replace uh, that when making steel. And they bought like this... A coal company from tech in Canada uh, in, in hopes that of combining thermal coal and steel making coal, uh, they can uh, manage out the um, transition from away from thermal coal in the future. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's intriguing, actually, if you looking at it from down here on the thermal coal versus met coal. Yes, there have been all of those issues here as well. I will just point out, by the way, that if we go back 18 months, a lot of us were talking about coal prices and other um, fossil fuel prices being so high that we should impose windfall taxes on the miners and other operators of these assets, right? Now we're saying, oh my God, the price has come down. Um, the past year and a half, two years have been abnormally high for a lot of these assets. So let's not get too worried about these companies. Other things have changed as well, right? So costs have gone up as well because of inflation. But let's just bear in mind that 
a lot of these assets went up. A lot of these minerals and 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 um, and ores went up in price precisely because of the war, because of the pandemic, and because of inflation. So um, we we don't want to give these companies too much of a pass. Down here, though, I'll just go back to coal. Um, BHP has been selling some of what it describes as its less good met coal. It's coking coal. It's coal for steel. And it sold it to a player down here called Whitehaven, which is mostly a thermal coal player, which wants to get the met coal so they can get enough money from met coal so they can go back to the banks and say, please finance us now. Please lend us money now because most of our money will come from met coal rather than thermal coal. We know you guys don't like thermal coal anymore, you bankers. So now we're a met coal player. Isn't that great? So um, there's a little bit of uh, sort of um, carbon arbitrage going on in the coal market business as well. I think it's really interesting as well, Anthony, just just on the prices falling, right? Because again, if your production is cut, is there any sense of governments kind of stepping in and trying to subsidize? Because as Anita says about the kind of energy transition, that there is there is a need for all of these minerals. Maybe not. Maybe the demand isn't there now, but there is in the world for these minerals. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, I mean, it becomes a question of what do you as a government want to achieve medium to long term? So in the short term, again, I, I look at a lot of this and I see a typical commodities style um, boom and bust cycle. Right. So um, and actually the price of nic- nickel is a really good example. Nickel is really I mean, there, there are other ways of there are ways of replacing nickel in electric batteries. But most of the people I've spoken to said that we still think nickel will be a big part of a lot of electric batteries for the foreseeable future, um, as well as being used in many other businesses that have nothing to do with the energy transition, just like copper and others. Right. So um, uh, but if you are a government that wants to be in the energy transition and a government that is thinking, certainly Australia has a lot of fossil fuel assets it exports. So what they want to do, they want to try and make sure that they can get more value out of the uh, the chain of supplying uh, nickel, lithium, uh, rare earths, whatever else is they've got down here. They've got a lot of non-fossil fuel assets down here. And how do you do that while also trying to make sure that China does not dominate the supply chain, which gets into the geopolitical elements that you mentioned earlier on? Um, unfortunately, um, you've got sort of a sort of short-termist approach of, oh my God, the prices have gone down, and a long-term approach of, but to get over that, we need to support the industry, don't we? And what the Australians have come up with is kind of a, I wouldn't even call it a halfway house. So the state of Western Australia, where most of the nickel is mined, they said, look, we're going to cut in half the royalties we charge, which sounds great. They charge 2.5%. So if you look at the price now, what's about 16000 a tonne, that's going to save around $200 a ton for the miners, were they still in operation. Um, the basic average cost of mining nickel in Australia at the moment is $17,000. So that's not going to get you up to where you're going to say, I'll restart my operations. The big player, Indonesia, which has increased its, its output tenfold in the past decade and now accounts for half of all nickel output, probably has an average price of around $13,000. Right? So you're kind of stuck. What do you do there? The Aussie government, the federal government, has also said we'll add nickel to the critical minerals list. Then it can access a four billion Aussie dollar, so two and a half billion US dollar pool of funding that all the critical minerals on this list can access under certain circumstances. But again, that's that's not going to get the mine starting again. It's not going to get you over that seventeen thousand dollar barrier. Only higher prices will do that, or lower costs. Anthony, you touched a little bit on this just now, which is super interesting, but I want to hear your perspective as well, Karen. Do you think that there's 
hope on the horizon that some of the fates of these companies are going to improve in the longer term? It certainly would be like today, like for example, this uh, London listed miner, Anglo American, like one of the commodities that got hit is the diamond uh, diamond industry. Uh, They own the bears. Um, The CEO was kind of talking about like uh, they expected like a U turn, like recovery, because all of these commodity psycho actually come back very quickly. Uh, so that's why a lot of these miners are looking to diversify and get into different kind of uh, commodities in, in the hope that some of the prices of these commodities will go uh, better, will perform better than the others, uh, at the hope that it can then uh, ride over the cycle. And in the long term, uh, there should be uh, hope for them. But then at the moment, they're struggling to look for extra capital to keep uh, mining the business. And that's very important and probably need a lot of help from government and also sovereign wealth funds uh, to help fund these projects going forward. So, yeah, I, 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 I would say um, for the big companies, I have no concerns whatsoever. Like the BHPs in Rio is going to be just fine. They, As long as the iron ore price stays high, they're going to be fine. Um, some of the smaller players... Um, down here, there's a company called IGO, which bought a big copper and nickel player a couple of years ago for a billion dollars. They've basically written down the entirety of that. They wrote down most of that because their due, due diligence on the deal was so poor. And last year they said, oh, we're going to write most of this down. Nickel prices has made it worse. So I think there was a lot of over exuberance, irrational exuberance even, about how high the prices would stay after 2021, 2022, and how high the demand would stay for electric vehicle batteries, for example. And I think that the, the demand for those hasn't slowed much, but it's slowed enough to get enough players like Ford, GM and others to say, we're not making enough money or any money on our electric vehicles. So we're going to dial back how much money we're putting into that. And we're going to think about how we're going to better make money, which probably means selling some gasoline cars for a while or more gasoline cars. So look, that, that demand will almost certainly come back. Um, I think miners do have to find ways of cutting costs. I think inflation has hit them, wage wage prices have hit them, and that's not necessarily their fault. But I think there has been a lot of um, a lot of companies are now bleating about the pain when being unwilling to share the gains a couple of years ago. So I don't have a great deal of sympathy for some of them, given that their strategies have been very short term. The nickel price, for example. Indonesia is now the big player in nickel. It's been flagging it for 10 years. It found a new technology two or three years ago. None of this is unknown. Any company that says this is a surprise to us what's happened in the past year with with Indonesia being so big is trying to pull your leg. So um, there's a great degree of not well thought through strategy or even maybe willful blindness to new players coming on board. Wow, fascinating stuff. Anthony, Karen, thank you so much for talking us through that. Very interesting and complicated and uh, many more stories to come, I would say. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Catch up with our latest views and much more on breakingviews.com and on X, where our handle is at breakingviews. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. 
to the heart of U.S. politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts.